1: You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners, so... Let's be friends. Today, we're going to discuss all the news coming out of the Formula One news cycle, including key personnel moves at McLaren. We'll ask why are the cars suddenly struggling to follow closely again. We'll ask did Red Bull pull the wool over Honda's eyes and what's happening with that their engine freeze. And we'll wonder just what is holding Ferrari back. And apparently, we're going to discuss how F1 cars can park better for some reason. Oh, and we're going to play a game. I'm excited. The new game we're going to play is called What If. So I'm going to throw out hypothetical suggestions and let my panel tell me why I'm wrong. Or perhaps for the first time ever, they might say, oh, wow, amazing spanners. What a great idea. So it's just a bit of a formalization of the things I tend to do already. Do you remember when I decided that I wanted to just ban all chicanes, which I thought was a fantastic idea. But I was challenged on that a lot, quite rudely from my panel and the feedback on the email as well. But, you know, we talked that through and I realised, no, I don't, I don't hate all chicanes. I don't even hate the driving challenge that a chicane poses, nor do I hate the opening chicanes, like in the middle of the Montreal circuit. I realised what I didn't like was the messy racing rules around it particularly when one driver gets forced off and rejoins but we got there by going out with my hypothetical and just saying what if we banned all chicanes so in this section i'm going to say something like what if all cars were shaped like turnips and matt will do his secret trick that he thinks i don't know but i know now because my mother pointed it out what he does is he starts off as if he's agreeing with me. So he'll be like, yeah, yeah, there is some uh, merit. The basic turnip shape has an aerodynamic quality. And then I'm feeling all good about that. And then slowly but surely, he just walks me away from all vegetable-based aerodynamics. So he thinks that I've, uh, you know, he thinks he's fooled me, but my mother has made me wise to it. And then Chris Stevens will just say, well, they're not going to be turnip shapes, are they? They're never going to do it. They're never going to happen, and you're stupid. But this is how I problem solve. This is how I run my projects. Some drivers, when they come out in free practice one, they edge to the limit. And every single lap, they get closer and closer to the apex, closer and closer to the wall. That's not my style. I just go smash past the limit and say, let's ban all undulation in Formula One. Let's ban all chicanes. And then I walk it back until I have the perfect lap. So today will be an adventure of Formula One from an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined by the very sneaky Matt To-Rumpets. How's it going, Matt?
2: Sometimes a copy is better than the original.
1: That's an Aston Martin story. Mercedes. Oh, are they going to copy things? Oh, we'll get into that. Yeah, Mercedes, I think, is number three on our news items. But my mum pointed out, she said, oh, Ricky, that Matthew Trumpets, he always starts off agreeing with you. And then in the end, he says something different and you didn't even notice.
2: Well, I mean, I'm not saying she's wrong about that because, (laughs) you know, oftentimes I will do that. But the fact of the matter is when the data presents a certain picture, it's kind of my responsibility to try and convey that.
1: Sneaky Americans. We're also joined by Chris Stevens, who often reacts to me like I'm punching a squirrel, just like, what What the heck, Spanners?
3: Well, I'm going to take a leaf out of my audition for Big Brother and say, I say it like I see it.
1: Okay, <laughs> and from the very frank and stern, no-nonsense
4: nation of the Netherlands, it's Jules Segers. How's it going, Jules? Good evening, Spanners and everyone. Um, excited to, uh, to talk about the topics uh, tonight, but I got even more excited when EJ in the live chat just taught me that there is an actual emoji of a turnip. Oh, that's fantastic. I need the turnip emoji. I've been, for whatever reason, seeing
1: a lot of Dutch F1 content on my TikTok, and I'm fascinated by it. And obviously with TikTok, the more you stay on it, the more it feeds you that content, no subtitles or anything. I'm just mesmerized by the kind of interview style. Like, I don't know what they're saying, but the Dutch conversation is just, it's so direct and just at you.
4: Yeah, I'm I'm afraid that we have a reputation for being direct and to the point uh uh although maybe I struggle with that a bit but uh, yeah say it like uh, like it is and uh um, no filter
1: Mm. Well we're going to get a lot of stuff from Jules because he's cheated by being a proper journalist In fact we've got quite a journalistic panel on today Jules Sagers, a former journo, now a a professor in that field We have Chris Stevens who is an accredited journalist for Formula E and now a PR guru And we have Matt who won't let us forget that he was accredited that one time for a Formula E race Two, two Formula E races, fine, fine, fine Let's get on with the news Dirty news. Well, I think the big news, let's go with Matt Trumpets here, is personnel changes at McLaren. James Keyes out and the Ferrari guy in. And uh, this was predicted by Kyle Power.
2: Uh, Yeah, it's a pretty interesting story, actually. Um, After McLaren has gotten off to a rip roaring start this season, Yeah, Um, It emerged quite rapidly that uh, McLaren is undergoing a major technical restructuring. And as part of that restructuring, James Key, who has been there since their sort of revival uh, uh, post-Honda, will no longer be there. And instead, uh, we will be uh, treated to a tripartite technical structure at the top with Peter Prodrumo prodromo prodromo why do i recognize one of those why do
1: i recognize that that name
2: he as a former head of aerodynamics at red bull right yes i believe and moved to mclaren uh he will be running the aero section david sanchez from ferrari will be running the concept and car performance section once he gets there which won't be till next january yes make gardening leave shorter
1: yeah, this, finally, is, this is one of the big things that you went on about. This is a thing you said that I liked, which is actually the gardening leave renders the, the competition side of it very difficult because with a cost cap, even if you secure good staff, you don't get them for a year. So kind of these advantages are, are baked in and we have the cost cap that stops you catching up. We have gardening leave that stops you catching up. So really, instead of bringing teams closer together, it could keep them further apart.
2: Yeah, and it's worth mentioning that in the realm of things, this is how knowledge has always traveled between Formula One teams. People have gone from one team to another and brought knowledge with them. But the way the combination of the very long lead times now, such that your next year's car starts being designed around summer break and goes on from there with the long gardening leave means that you could secure someone's services. And after a six months gardening leave, it'll be a year plus when they join the team, before what they bring to the table actually gets seen. And that's essentially two years of baked-in advantage for a team that has some knowledge nobody else has. An easy way to help bring the field together would be to make it easier for these people to move between teams more quickly.
3: So McLaren's done this massive overhaul of... The technical Everything. department or their yeah. the head, yeah, the heads of the department, anyway, right after they've done a complete overhaul of the upper management as well at the start of the season. And I feel like this is about the 27,000th time that they've done that in the last five or six years or so. Yeah. And it does not seem to be getting them anywhere closer to the front. And at some point, you have to look elsewhere and say there's something else that's keeping us from getting back to the front. And they cannot Mm. keep saying they're on the right path when clearly this year they've taken a huge step backwards. And like Matt says, the earliest that these changes are going to have an effect is 2025.
1: Uh, Specifically for for Sanchez, though, the the 2024 coming in 2025. Uh, But James Key has not been there. Particularly very long either. Who did he take over from? Testing your testing your memories now. But at what point do we say with McLaren that? Well, I mean, here they've changed the whole structure, but it's like, well, they haven't got a second car that could perform. So Daniel Ricciardo takes the the pain for that. They're not long uh, executive technical director in post James Key now gets brought out. The whole system's getting thrown out of the window. Like, how long can they keep chopping away? And I think we've said this with other teams, Matt. Before you go, it's, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's not all the generals underneath Darth Vader that are that are the issue.
2: Yeah, well, uh, just to refresh your memory, prior to this management change, which happened with Zach Brown, it was Eric Boulier and the remnants of uh, Ron Dennis's Matrix system. Which I will simply say, if you think of the movie The Matrix, that's about what your uh, table of organization looked like. <laughs> okay. Very complicated. There was shared decision making. There were no clear lines of anything that got chucked out. James Key came in. They designed a good car for 2019 and it was a good platform for the 2021 seasons, but it has issues. Those issues haven't been resolved. And once, um, oh, the Audi team principal now left. Yeah they decided to have a serious look at how things were running because they have a new wind tunnel and simulator coming in and they want to up their game. And this is why we've arrived at this moment.
1: Yeah, well, where we've arrived, Jules, isn't particularly positive. If you Is it the 2019 season I think you're talking about? Didn't McLaren come fourth? Yeah, I think they came fourth or something like that. But anyway, they've been going backwards. So they're not really looking like they're even struggling for fifth at the moment, or fighting for fifth. Sorry, Matt.
2: What? But- essentially the 2019 car became the car for 2020 and 21 it was a platform and and compared to where they were with honda they made forward progress they were third, maybe fourth fourth and fifth and it was a close one those two seasons but they've clearly not made the progress they wanted now so we have new people coming in and uh andrea stella who is now the team principal essentially becomes sort of the executive technical director because he has an engineering background he's an engineer. And I suspect, kind of like we see at Audi, that Zach will take care of a lot of the media appearances, and they've also got someone back at the factory to run that for him. So if you were afraid of the Matrix returning, that's not really what's happening here. They sort of cleared out James Key and made the team principal James Key now in the form of Andrea Stella at and each of the three sec- main sections they've decided to go with. have their own technical director to help improve uh, efficiencies and optimize things.
4: Well, we definitely don't need another part of the matrix. I think we all (laughs) can agree on that. But um, I think with Key uh, at McLaren, they finished third in 2019. There we go. And Ferrari had the drama season. And then the season after that they dropped to fourth when Ferrari uh, caught up with uh, with the top teams um, I was thinking because key uh, he was signed from Toro Rosso, and you know like proper midfield team where if you can work a bit of magic on a, on, a, on, on a, a given weekend budget yeah. you immediately you immediately stand out and I was thinking maybe with James Key, he got this team. Up and running from you know a, a very low point in the in the in the early post tennis years and the Honda debacle and everything, uh, and they McLaren became a respectable team again and a likable team again, and that was not only due to their uh, papaya orange uh, coming back, but I think maybe he's he's one of those guys that can that can do a really good job on a limited budget, but maybe not the guy who can you know take that that next step. Uh, with a load of money, uh, um, uh, how do you say it, in your hands?
2: Yeah, scale is everything here. And McLaren clearly has the scale of, or wants to be at the scale, of the manufacturers of the Red Bulls, of the Mercedes, of the Ferraris. They've always been around there, and they wish to stay there. And it could be that managing with less resources meant it was difficult for Key. But I think fundamentally what this really comes down to is they were not happy. There was a fundamental issue with the 22 car that that did not get fixed for 23. Plus, you have production problems for McLaren that, that mean that they went down the wrong path and they don't start off this season with sort of the parts that they want. And they have new equipment coming in. And it just made sense for them to start with a clean slate with the new stuff. And and that's what they're going to do. And they they are... Looking to fight for fourth, they're looking to eventually fight for podiums and challenge for the lead, which is what Aston is doing now. So it is attainable, but it'll be interesting to see if they can achieve it.
1: Okay, well, you're saying that the the last meaningful privateer in Formula One, sorry, Williams fans, uh, the last meaningful privateer team are going to go up against, well, I suppose McLaren are a car manufacturer, aren't they? On paper? Uh, Yeah. I don't know what their sales are doing. On paper, yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah, I know. But you know what I mean? They're not like a juggernaut. They're not a Renault. or well, They're not a, an Aston Martin.
3: Uh, I mean, yeah, granted. But mm. they do make some some pretty nice cars.
1: Okay, well, in that case, Chris, the ambition should be higher. They shouldn't be going, oh, maybe we can get to the point where we can punt for the odd podium. I did pose the question to Joe a while back, and if, could McLaren fans be forgiven? for looking at Zach Brown's leadership and saying, well, what has he really done well? Well, what he's really done well is brought corporate sponsors. That car is littered with so many sponsors that they had to invent a new technology to rotate them.
3: I think McLaren has got the most uh, sponsors of any Formula One team at the moment. And I think there there was more than 50 on that car at launch for sure. And there will only be more added, Mm -hmm.
1: and that tells me that Zach Brown is the team principal that is best at throwing like the business lunch. So if I, if you're a brand, Zach Brown, he takes you for golf. He takes you back to his house. He just puts like a whole cow on a barbecue. You have a great time. You go away. You don't even remember signing. And then, and then your brand is on the car. All right, then. So we will see how those things shake out at McLaren. But like Matt says, you know, these are sort of long term fixes, and the fact that they've had to do this, that they've taken the decision after race two to sack their technical lead and reshuffle the whole management structure does not spell look out for Lando Norris post Barcelona on a podium near you.
2: Yeah.
3: that's, That's the really sad thing, isn't it? The fact that they've got two supremely talented drivers who at the moment are circling towards the back of the pack or they're, their car's not working properly or they're running over debris at the start of races and things like that because they're not, you know, where they should be. Uh, and that's, for me, that's the frustrating thing anyway.
1: Oh, quick aside. Oh, sorry, go on Jules. Say something serious and journalistic before I do my silly thing. Um, I'm a, uh,
4: agree with what Chris said there. Um, the, the results so far, it's only been two races and they, you know, they kind of, um, uh, at the start of the season, Pre-season already stating like yeah we're in trouble and we don't have a fast car then you already frame yourself into some kind of you know um minion role and 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 then the results so far they have been um maybe not uh representative of their true pace because yeah. they had uh, norris had a qualifying incident yeah. i think uh both of the drivers had incidents in the first couple of laps of the races. So. We still. I don't believe they are in a Williams position. Uh, they may may be on on the fringe of uh, of the top ten. Um, so you know, let's let's give them some time, and maybe they will they will catch up faster than we expect now. I
1: dream of the day where once again Williams is not like a verb for for doing badly. Like, Oh yeah, or like you're the Williams now. Oh, you're doing worse than Williams. I, I dream of a day, Chris, where we can stop doing that.
3: It's the Tari now, isn't it?
1: Oh, tower has got to be on our news bucket list as well. Lots of stuff happening in relation no, to that. No, I
3: don't trust my
1: engineers. What a statement. Yeah, that was harsh. But I don't trust Lando Norris, and I'm going to call Lando Norris <laughs> out for being a liar in in the nicest possible way. I don't normally touch upon this kind of thing, but he uh-huh. he did some kind of gaming stream where he's talking to his friend, and uh, he mentions that he bumped into Lewis Hamilton on the golf range and was invited to go and join them for a round which he did and that's a lovely thought Lewis and Lando going and playing golf but uh, the person on the other end of the call said oh what what handicap was he and you could see Lando Norris's brain ticking over and this is before I'd seen Lewis Hamilton's post he said 14 or 15 handicap which is actually pretty good like Matt and I would would dream of of such a handicap you've got to be decent and then he said polite things like well, when he hits it, it goes. So then I scuttled over to Lewis Hamilton's Instagram where he sh- have showed a picture of him driving off the tee and there's no way, there's no way Lewis Hamilton is a 14 handicap. That is a terrible driver swing. Lewis Hamilton, he's the greatest of all time statistically and actually in Formula One, but that was a rubbish drive that slices all day long. Sorry, Chris, did you want to come back at my slander there?
3: No, I just... I mean, I didn't understand a word of it.
1: Yeah, golf. Because I don't know anything about golf. Like, what Mm. a
3: terrible sport.
1: And that's why you don't really get anywhere professionally. You have to play career sticks just to be able to get by.
3: I do that. Uh, Oh, I'm not going to finish that sentence.
2: (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) How I was going to finish that sentence. Any sport that requires you to drink steadily for three and a half to five hours while you play it cannot be bad, Chris. And that's going to be bowling and golf.
3: Duh. No, not what have you When do you ever see... I never tune into the PGA and I see them swinging Carlsberg in between uh, shots. Excuse
1: me, I'm just going to end this conversation by saying snooker. Let's get on to something a little bit more technical. In the olden days, they just have a whiskey. Why is it hard to follow, again, in Formula One, Jules? I thought we had solved this forever.
4: Why is there a problem with following? Well, um... After the Jetta Grand Prix, a couple of drivers were quoting, quoted uh, saying, Carl uh, Stein said it reminded him of uh, the old cars and old being the, the, the nice. pre-2022 uh, regulation change car, which had uh, the whole dirty air uh, problem, not uh, being able to follow a car within a second uh Carlos Sainz and Max Verstappen they uh, they commented on the turbulence uh, while falling closer Leclerc, Leclerc he said um that when he came within a second of Sainz he uh, he had to back out uh, both McLaren drivers uh, they stated um that it hurt the tires to follow cars and uh, so There's there's, uh, been a a bit of a thing in the media about this and um, some people think that it has to do with with the floor edge regulations for this season and um, that uh, all kind of aerodynamic uh, uh, little bits and pieces (laughs) on the floor edges, the front wings, they uh, have created the outwash uh, dirty air that we had actually ah, okay. prior to the regulations that had to prevent uh, dirty air and uh, so should I, result in closer racing. Sorry, Jules. I thought that the dirty
1: air in the before time was mostly from the rear wing. And now it's, they're saying it's coming from the floor. So my question would be, is it deliberate that, because like, Red Bull have said in the past, they deliberately sent as much dirty air back as they could, or is it just um, an effect of people exploiting you know gaps in the rules to add more aero?
4: I I I'm not an aerodynamicist, of course, but I think it's a bit of both. I mean, every team would want to disadvantage their competitors if they had the chance. And on the other on, on the other hand, um, the the new floor edge uh, regulations they uh, allow aerodynamicists to come up with these little winglets, um, trying to push the air to the outside of the floor. To to um, how do you say this in English? Um, to make up for the lost, uh, the lost uh, uh, air pressure yeah. underneath the car. Do I say this right, Matt? Uh, it, would, it would be the
2: downforce probably would be the correct word to use. Yeah. You're losing downforce because they raised the throat leading to the diffuser and they raised the floor edge as well, making the cars overall lose downforce. But despite that... We've seen faster times, and that's because the cars are on year two of these regulations. So the engineers are optimizing their designs to extract more potential from them. And because outwash is more efficient, they're looking for all the places they can generate it. And we can go back. Do you remember at the start of the season, the little slot gap separators on the Ferrari wing that were said to be illegal last year on Mercedes wing? Well, now you can put them on your wing. Those generate outwash. If you look at the way the um, different planes connect to the in plate on the Mercedes front wing, it looks like they're not connected the way they're supposed to be, but they are. That generates outwash. If you go along the floor edge, you can find a number of, as you said, winglets and bits of trim that generate outwash if you look at how the venturi the the floor fences for the venturis are angled you can see they're creating more if you go and look at the aston rear wing you can again find pieces that are creating this outwash and all of it is making it harder for the trailing car mm. to follow without eating its tires which is the problem we were still In trying to get from getting too bad
1: So what you're saying is move to a turnip-based aerodynamic shape and everything will be solved.
2: Well, or just, you know, make longer DRS zones. That is the the
1: before time. You have to remember that, yeah, you'd you'd see cars sitting about a second and a half back is how it, it used to be, Chris. And then you'd see this kind of attack for like two or three laps. And then they would just have to give up. And as our live chat is asking now, they're asking, is Dirty Air back? And if it is, Should we panic and how much should we panic?
3: Well, dirty air never went away. We just reduced the effect of it or reduced the amount of it. It's always been there and it's always going to be there. It's just how much can we uh, reduce the Mm. effect uh, of that, which is the whole point of the 2022 uh, regulations. And of course, the problem was always going to get worse as this set of regulations went on because they're going to add more downforce and they're going to find new ways to create the dirty air again, which the teams don't really care about because it's not their problem, you know. So even though, yeah, okay, there's been a a reduction in the number of overtakes uh, this year, probably has something to do with the fact that, you know, we haven't seen Max and Charles swapping position seven times a lap like we did this time uh, last year as well. Uh, And uh, the fact Mm. that they reduced the DRS zone in Brazil, um, in Brazil, in Bahrain. Don't, don't
1: <laughs> wish the season away. <laughs> um,
3: um, but uh, like, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing because what, what what you don't want to see is just the, the super easy DRS parts that we saw too much of last year where it's just press a button, get a free overtake. You actually have to work for it and I think that's a good thing.
1: <sighs> my, my overriding feeling with all of this aero stuff is that basically we're swallowing nails and then we're going, well, how can we counteract... You know the pain from swallowing nails. Oh well, it's okay. It's easy. You, you know, just drink this cement. That'll cover up the scrapes of down your throat from the swallowing nails. You know, you just you're fixing a problem with a, a worse problem. why like, can't. We just can't, let's just rip the wings off, Jules. Sure. You know, I'm sure this is having some effect, but surely that's got to be the the overall solution. Should be would will, will has to be reduce the aerodynamic boxes that they're allowed to play with, and just keep doing that until we get actually good good racing or better racing.
4: Uh, despite the amount of love i have for your turnip dream um let's not panic guys let's not uh call formula one broken before we know it if we go on like this we're, we're back to those days that formula One was broken right. are you saying it's, i'm overreacting well i think a, a lot of it give it some time i mean um again two races uh, uh, under underway <laughs> and uh, especially Bahrain had a lot, a lot less overtakes than the previous years. But as uh, Chris just uh, just said already, uh, shortened the DRS uh, start finish uh, zone this season and um, Jeddah, for instance, uh, had just a little bit less overtakes, but more than the first race in Jeddah in 2021. So, right. With that, and also every major rule change in recent history, Formula One, after every rule change, the first season has a lot, of, lot more overtakes and everybody's happy. And then <laughs> second sounds. season, you know, team performance evens out. Uh, last year, we had new tires. Teams understand the tires better now. So it's pretty normal that we see less overtakes. But again, let's not call things broken just yet.
2: Uh, yeah i would just tell spanners he's wrong here yeah no we don't need to panic at all let's think You're about wrong. Ferrari. have they shown <laughs> up ha- have they shown up with the car working the way they want no mercedes no mclaren no a- in fact there's I- i'd say if i aside from aston and red bull most of the teams are are still figuring things out plus we had a change in front tire construction to confuse the matter there are issues like the slot gap separator. Some of them can be addressed by regulation. But this is the game that Formula One engineers play with the regulations, regardless of what the rule set is. The FIA is going to have to be nimble to keep them from getting too out of hand. But it's way too early to, in a blind panic, decide that we should just simply remove rear wings to solve the problem. And front
1: wings. Right okay. front wing. So I urge anyone to go and search for the South Park episode, uh, "Chipotle way, you know, and, and, and if you've seen that, you'll understand the analogy, but basically they're finding ways to solve a, a fundamental issue that if for some reason is just baked into the sport, which is, it is too much aero. I, I think everyone feels like this. No, Chris, come on. There's too much what aero. There's an obsession with the fastest possible lap time and overall performance. And that is more important than allowing racing.
3: Yes, it's Formula 1. The point is to create the fastest cars possible. Hang on, hang on, hang on. The entire point of the championship, of course it's focused on Hang on, on, okay.
1: Take a a lap of Silverstone and whatever a Formula 1 car does it in, what's the second fastest series around Silverstone? Like, there's Um, there's still a lot. On, what would you reckon it will be it'll be well it'll be formula 2 wouldn't it okay formula 2 so we could take off quite a bit of aero and still be faster than formula 2 and then you could just take formula 2 and make that slower no one cares about oh it's 10 seconds the faster on the record um, we don't care that they've been they're 3 seconds apart because they're basically giant aero machines
3: but it's still a lot of aero you need a lot of aero to go fast at all if you're talking about just oh let's just forget aero yes and then suddenly it's not going to be formula one anymore
1: matt agree with me unconditionally so we can smite this this pox upon our show that is chris stevens
2: yes you are correct yes at a certain at a certain point the extra speed doesn't matter but also i mean formula one does pride itself in being the fastest around a road circuit which means you need a fair amount of downforce for the squiggly bits and uh, really, if they wanted to improve things, they'd make the cars a lot lighter, so that your horsepower per unit of weight ratio improved. It's it's still pretty out there, but you know, uh, but those are pipe dreams because of safety and, frankly, just the nature of ground effect regulations in general. You need longer cars. But we
3: went down this road literally ten years ago. Formula One cars got their wings
1: slashed and their exhaust things slashed. Yeah. And
3: everybody moaned. No, Reddit, that were too Reddit slow. moaned.
1: Reddit moaned. That was it. No, 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 Reddit no, kicked no. off and then they added, bolted on tons of aero in 2017. It's your fault, Reddit. If you're involved <laughs> in any way in Reddit, that was your fault.
3: Even the drivers, because the, like, the GP2 cars at the front were quicker than the slowest Formula One cars around all the mm. aero circuits. Uh, like Barcelona for example so they made that snap decision yeah. and decided we need to make Formula Wrong. 1 27 seconds a lap faster yeah. and then suddenly
1: we had all these overtaking problems which just led us exactly to where we are today so basically we go back in time and this time we don't make the incorrect decision to listen to random internet forums and just bolt on a ton of aero and make racing impossible mm-hmm. it doesn't seem that hard to me Jules uh, this is your segment though does the FIA have a fix if one is needed
4: at all well um that's a very good question <laughs> um I, I don't know uh, uh, to be to be honest uh, the feeling i have is uh this is a this is a, a a story which which is there uh the driver comments are there but i don't think anyone uh, within uh, within the, the formula 1 management is uh, is panicking like we have been <laughs> chris
3: all, all i will say to anybody who says our oh, formula 1's really boring right Go and watch other motorsports then. There is so much that is not burdened oh, by yeah, the fact yeah, that it yeah. needs to be the fastest thing in the world. Formula 1 is about competition, sporting excellence, and goddamn speed, you know? I'm- and if there happens to be wheel-to-wheel racing in amongst that as well, then that is a byproduct and a bonus. It is not the point of the championship. Go and watch Formula League,
1: Go and watch touring cars. Go and watch literally anything else. Stop <laughs> ruining my sport with all your whinging. Well, it's my sport, too. And as much as I love that rant, I think there's possibly a middle ground to be had here. I think, Matt, I don't know if the modern Formula One audience or indeed the modern Formula One owners would put up with a 2017 knee-jerk reaction now that basically killed racing. Because for a long time, it, they that made it impossible, impossible to follow. And we had these ridiculous things where you see people, you knew that once they got within 0.4, their fronts were going to start burning up and the, you know, and, and the racing would effectively stop. I don't think Liberty would allow F1 to go in that direction again.
2: Uh, no. And let's remind ourselves first and foremost, Formula One is an engineering competition. So again, another potential solution we've already mentioned, gardening leave, make it easier for knowledge to travel between teams. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we will see, I am sure as time goes on, uh, the racing get closer again, as we get a more mature, uh,
1: It's time for my new game called What If? And basically, I will set up a hypothetical where I encourage Chris Stevens to not just out and out go, well, that definitely won't happen. It's stupid. And just try and explore it. It's a thought exercise. It's blue sky thinking. I'm thinking outside the box here, guys. So stick with me. Today's What If? is what if the second tier of the FIA single seater racing ladder was full of teams trying to gain promotion to Formula One. Sure, in this plan, the cost cap might have to be reduced further. There would have to be various supports for teams getting promoted or relegated, like there is in the top two tiers of football. I think this would solve a few problems. First and foremost, it would give room, once again, to privateer teams who could come into a kind of Formula One light that was basically the same kind of formula, but maybe more spec parts which made it slightly easier uh, so they could concentrate and focus all their available funds on on the areas that aren't spec. There'd be less spec parts in the the real or the top tier Formula One, if you like, but maybe that cost cap has to come down even further. You wouldn't need any more sprint races, which literally everyone agrees are kind of dumb because you'd have an, an interesting baked in genuine competition in the second tier, which I don't think exists amongst the teams now, because as, I, as I've had it yelled at me, the uh, current F2 teams probably wouldn't want to go to Formula 1. I my, my my view on those teams, and I'm sure I'm going to be corrected in a moment if I'm wrong, is that they're kind of clients to the drivers in a lot of ways. Well, well, that function could still be f- served further down the Formula tier, but I'm talking about a a league underneath the current Formula 1 league where you could fill a grid with the likes of Arrows and Minardi and Stewart and Super Aguri and all these kind of teams could come in without having to feel intimidated to go and catch up with absolute giants like Mercedes and Renault. It could be an aspirational league like you have in football. You could build up, you could poke your head into F1 for a season and yeah, you can see, ah, we're going to get relegated here, but we've learned for next time. We've built up funds. I think that would be a major step to moving away from a franchise sport and more towards an aspirational tier system. I say all of this knowing it will never happen. But what if, Chris Stevens, the second tier of Formula One, of single-seater racing in the FIA, was a competitive league you could get promoted out of?
3: as you maniac. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. No, I like... Lo- oh, man, the thing is, I like the principle. <clears throat> I really do. Um. Obviously, I mean, we're going to get into the specifics of it because, of course, let's do it. If, if you take the yeah, if you take the second tier thing, you can't be having them doing the same budget no, in the no, same way right. that, like, you know, League Two teams don't have the same. Uh, and, and that's why uh, my first thing
1: was as, as Premier yeah, to have a teams little teams bit teams. more spec. So you know, there's more parts that are just supplied or that they have mm. to buy. There's less room for development. But they kind of so say they develop like the key aero areas, but maybe the suspension, for example, is provided for them. So when they get that promotion, suddenly they're like, "Oh crap, we need to hire some suspension guys."
3: I don't know how much more a a team has to have in football, for example, when it gets moved up a league. I know it's probably a lot. Is it as much as it would be to suddenly make an entire Formula One, or at least? do what has to and, and buy enough Well, what the team's going up, and, and you do get
1: these yo-yo teams in, in the football league that kind of go up and down. And for them, like, even mm. just avoiding relegation for a season is a really big achievement. So that, that kind of does happen. But what they tend to do, is, you know, they kind of swap personnel with the team that's gone down as well. And they are like, oh, that star striker's, you know, he's gone down. It wasn't his fault because he just wasn't getting the service. But, but we can hire that star striker because he's got League One experience.
3: Yeah, but what do you do about contracts and and you know with sponsors know. as well? And these are all things, but these are all things I have to talk to a football <laughs> f- expert about because how do you say to a sponsor, oh yeah, we're going to be in we're going to yeah. be in Formula One yeah. uh, next year, and then suddenly they have a terrible end to the season and they get demoted and they don't get that sponsorship money or they don't get that driver as Should've. a result, and these things but, they all what, snowball. Here we massively. Go, Matt.
1: This this what Chris is saying. There's then there's a massive incentive to not just dawdle around at the back of the field. I get a little bit sick of. Six races in, oh, we're turning our attention to next season as an excuse for we don't know what's going on with our car. Can you imagine Toro Rosso, Williams and Haas in a desperate scrap to avoid relegation all the all the way down to the wire in Abu Dhabi?
2: Yeah, but again, I I hate to agree with Chris for any reason whatsoever, because he's younger than I am. (laughs) But the fact of the matter is that the current Formula 2 teams are essentially specialists in sort of logistics, trackside operations, and race car setup. Formula 1 are specialists in not only that, but also in car manufacturing. It's worth remembering that a lot of the issues in terms of cost are the intellectual property rules that underpin this particular formula, Formula 1. And there's not really... The only potential compromise I could think of would be to have sort of like a technology center that each team could go to with its own design, but that all of the manufacturing prowess and expertise, and this is an idea that went back to, I think, Force India and a couple of other teams in the mid-teens, that there would be one center for all of these teams that would manufacture the their specific design. So you design it, but you wouldn't have to manufacture oh, it. Right. Yes. If they could support yeah. those teams as they move to Formula One, then perhaps perhaps you could get people in at a lower budget mm. that might be competitive. But as Chris points out, you have other legal problems with sponsorship and stuff like that that would also need to be sorted. Okay, I just out. want to
1: clarify a couple of things at at this point that I wouldn't be talking about what is now F2. That would basically drop out of the way and make room for, basically open the door to to privateer teams. And um, yeah, and look, I'm being accused already. What is the benefit of this? Well, I would say it would provide competition at the bottom of Formula One all through the season. You couldn't bin it off. Um, It would provide an incentive to have not pay drivers because you really are scrapping for every point. The, The fact that Williams can phone in a couple of seasons with two pay drivers, which they have done in the past, it, to me, is not competitive. That's not a competitive model. And I don't know if that happens in other franchise sports, Matt. I know the Americans, you love your franchise sports, but you shouldn't be able to just turn up knowing you're safe. Like, where's the, what's the point in teams doing that?
2: Uh, sorry, I was just going to ask, like, how many is a couple? <laughs> in England because geez (laughs) just a couple of seasons yeah (laughs) and just
1: it's more than a couple of teams that do this as well so effectively once you get to the the midpoint in the season Chris you've only got about four or five teams really fighting for anything
3: yeah and I I, just to sort of clarify on your point of why it wouldn't be like you know the existing Formula 2 for example I cannot overstate enough how fundamentally basic formula two is when mm. compared yes yeah, so this to wouldn't One. be
1: formula two i'll be really yeah. clear
3: spec series they're limited
1: to 12 mechanics you know per car so yeah yeah, we're yeah, yeah looking yeah. at something entirely, in something entirely different. different definitely and i just love the fact uh, let's let, let who's let's pick any kind of of race team like think think of a race team chris from another series
3: uh there isn't in formula that is two. yeah uh,
1: to cheetah <laughs>
3: No, they oh, okay. went bust.
1: Um... <laughs> he has gone wrong. Okay, so the missed <laughs> Apex team can turn up to Formula, you know, the second division of Formula One, and can go to Ferrari or Aston Martin and say, "Can we? Can we buy some of your chassis? Can we buy your engine? And and then we'll we, we'll then uh, work that around. We just want to go racing. So let's get on the grid with that car." And then we're we're there, and we're racing, we're competing, we've got our drivers, we can do a little bit of technical in- innovation to get ourselves further up the grid, and then the dream begins. And then 10 years later, they're up into Formula 1 proper, they're scrapping in the midfield, they survive two seasons and establish themselves as a DreamWorks team in a lower-cost cap Formula 1. It's magic, jewels. Don't be like those two. Don't ruin the magic for me.
4: No, no, I, I'm all for romance, Fenris. <laughs> Um, I was I was going to say I don't think you have to look that far for an example that might actually uh, have a, a, a similar system with, uh, with the former LMP1 and LMP2, where uh, the LMP2 have a lot of standardised and I believe two engine suppliers and I think one one engine supplier and one it's, chassis builder. It is okay. So there's one engine
3: supplier now, and there are still technically four. Uh, chassis suppliers, but three of them are rubbish. So yeah. you 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 have the Orica, basically. Yeah.
4: yeah, exactly. So so um, it in that in in such a system, it's not that far a leap to to make a step to uh, to uh, what was LMP one. So I like what Matt said that if you have part of the infrastructure that you can either take over or or mm. make use of, it 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 could be workable, and it would be. So much healthier for a, a sport, a top tier sport like Formula One to have the danger of relegation. I mean, can, wh- what other <laughs> professional sport could you, could you name that, you know, doesn't matter if you finish All last. American I mean, sports. Ha- and this is the
1: point. It's all American sports, Matt, isn't it? They're basically, they're all franchises. They're all a closed ecosystem and, and no one else can get in. And the thing that has got me riled up onto this path of, of thinking is a, a manufacturer like Porsche with a rich racing history. It has decided in the end, after all its talks with teams, I think just not to bother. So it's not happening. A, a giant like Porsche with a racing pedigree history, a, a big car manufacturer looks at Formula One. And they said, basically, unless we could buy a team already that's existing, there's just too much to catch up. You can't just jump in and do it. And the only opportunity you've got is a regulation change. And if you get that wrong, you're, you're pretty much doomed. So what we've got is a sport where people just, they can't jump in. Chris.
3: So uh, Jules has reminded me uh, that before Formula 2 and GP2 as we have now, we have Formula 3000, which was the second tier... Uh, before Formula One, and they used to in the in the eighties and the early nineties you would have uh, a string of available chassis suppliers, tire suppliers engine suppliers as well, and you would just sort of pick yeah. and choose and make your own little deals of all them, of all these things so it it wasn 't a, a yeah. you know a spec series, but it was sort of closed into you know what you could buy from from certain people and you didn't really make anything. Um, yourself and 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 even that principle now is being used in uh, American sports car racing, where you know the the manufacturers are partnering with uh, with chassis suppliers and and basically chucking their engines into it.
4: You know, actually, I love Chris brought this up. The current Aston Martin team it originates from the Jordan Formula One team, and Jordan Formula One team. Made the step from F3000 to Formula One successfully. There were less successful attempts, like I think the Coloni team in the 1991 season. Oh, anyway. we're too young so to it, remember, Jules. No idea. Yeah, but that. But that's that's pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, we have we have an actual actual example mm. here, like way from way, way back in the day. But even though they are like the second fastest team of this moment, Matt.
2: Yeah, well, I just get back to it. If we really want this idea to work... Yes, we do. The teams we all The teams will do. need to design their own cars because otherwise they will not be capable of being in I have a counter to
1: that. I have a counter to that, Matt, which is lots... And loads okay. of people are making this point in the chat, which is you're basically describing two-spec series. Now, I think the ambition is probably to bring that cost cap down or to at least maintain it. The cost cap is here to stay. And increasingly... You will have to make Formula One more of a spec series or these advantages like the advantage Red Bull has, baked in now, last for a whole regulation set. If you've got a wide berth of things that you can spend your limited cost cap money on, you basically have to to give up whole seasons at a time and save up to be able to make a push for next season or the season afterwards. F1 is going to have to become more of a spec series to maintain this cost cap. And that's the premise I've got. So, so with my league two, Formula One would yeah make another step down into the into spec territory, and the league below it would be again another step more spec. That doesn't mean there's there's not room for innovation for aerodynamic changes for suspension changes, uh, but I just don't see how F one survives as a. Uh, I don't see how F one goes to becoming more of a prototype type sport or less of a spec series because there's no longer the funds to manage that.
2: Well, it's always a balance between freedom and uh, close racing. The more freedom you have, the more money you spend, and the wider the gaps you're likely to get. If you want a team to be able to step up to Formula One, it needs the capability to, at a minimum, as we've seen with Haas, design its own aerodynamics and any parts of the car they're required to. So. It's, I think, acceptable to have like a manufacturing, as I said, center. Yeah. Where, let's say, our ten teams in Formula One point five, let's call yeah. it that. <laughs> that one center manufactures all the cars for all the teams. That one center does all the wind tunnel and simulator testing for all the teams, and the ten teams then share that cost, or the series hmm. provides some of the money, and the teams provide the rest on a on a per share basis. Well, that'll save them enough money to make it cheap enough that maybe Porsche will want to come in. And some of these mm. other manufacturers that don't want to necessarily spend that kind of money out of the gate. And if they do get promoted, they will still have access exactly. to that center. And they will, they, will, they will have the knowledge on their design team to really be competitive. If you're going to make it mm. work, that's the only way I see, see it work.
1: Porsche, yeah, Porsche could just settle in and just have a low-key, no-pressure Formula 1.5 team and uh, and they wouldn't be being lost out of F1 uh, like they are now. So uh, this is a good spot to end that segment with everyone having been won over and agreeing with me. Stop shaking your head. No one can see that on the audio version. I shouldn't have said it out loud, should I? Matt, what's slowing down Ferrari? I just, I, I jumped um. a new topic on you without giving you time to refresh your notes. So instead, Matt, I'm going to go to a topic that you know very well. Where are you playing music next in New York? And can people go and see you?
2: Yes, they can come see me. I will be playing at Shrine up in Harlem, 2271 Adam Clayton Powell Boulevard. Again, this Friday at 10 o'clock. Can people come see me? Yes, please. By all means, do come. Check it out. It was a pretty wild crowd last time. And uh, the music is, if I do say so, pretty good. And uh, I think we'll put a link in the show notes if anyone is interested, if you're around Friday at 10 in New York City. I mean, there are <laughs> things to do, unlike certain other places. One can so uh, Matt's, Matt's playing
1: coy, but Matt does the show notes. So he will put a link in there. Frankly, he could say the earth is definitely flat. And I would just let that fly because stuff like show notes stresses me out. What? Ferrari, Matt, what's holding them back?
2: Well, essentially what's holding them back is they cannot manage their
1: tires. Right. Okay, okay, fine. Right, tire talk then, is it? I'll go I'm just going to go and uh, grab a beverage. You crack on.
2: Well, the good news here is that they know what's going on. They they have some issues with I think the front end of the car. But on single lap pace, they're not really out of it with Red Bull and the way that it's looked so far. It's just they can't keep the tires alive. Mostly because of an issue that they are happy to tell us has been identified and that they also see in the wind tunnel. And what that means is that it's something that can be fixed and possibly, probably this season with development. This is not a Mercedes problem. This is a, oh, we've figured it out and we think we can uh, make it better.
1: Okay, promises, promises. How confident are you that it will get better? Do you know what? They they came out of the box looking like easily the second strongest team. They finished up after the second race looking like a a distant fourth, to be honest, and they looked all a bit confused, all a bit shell-shocked. Add to that the engine problems and the turning the power unit down or, or whatever it was, changing the power unit in an abundance of caution, already going through the electronics unit. It's not painting a hopeful picture if I was inclined to give the Tafosi hope, what, what, would I, what would I say here? I'm not, by the way, but what would I say? Yeah, you, you're the only one who cares about Ferrari even a little bit on this panel. Chris hates them. Uh, what He's I the would, worst. I, I,
2: again, what I would say is we have seen the potential of the car expressed over a single lap, and it's not really that far off of the Red Bull. If they are correct, and, the, and as they say, if the correlation is good with the wind tunnel, then there really is a decent possibility that we will see in the race now improved performance as they bring developments to the car over the course of the season. Does it mean they'll be in the championship fight this season? I don't know about that. But it does mean that it's possible, possible that it's going to get a little bit harder for Red Bull to just, you know, turn their engines down to 80% so that their gearboxes don't implode.
1: Excellent. We'll be back with more news after this important message from Bradley Philpott.
5: on the 27th and 28th of may this year missed apex motorsport are hosting a 24-hour sim race at le mans using the same amazing production team that brought you the missed apex f3 cup we embark upon a race around the clock at one of the best tracks in the world featuring multiple classes including lmdh lmp2 and gt this event is open to all levels of driver so if you're interested in racing in a professionally run live broadcast event with real trophies for all podium finishing drivers and live stewards taking care of the fairness, then you can enter an entire team for just £15. And don't worry if you don't have any teammates yet, there's a section on our Discord server for drivers looking for teams. Ordinarily, to be in a broadcast split of a big iRacing event would require you to have a very high eye rating, but that's not the case with this event at Le Mans. Teams of all levels are welcome, and there are separate classes for pro and am teams, meaning you'll be competing against teams of a similar ability to yours. And to give you an idea of just how good the broadcast is search for Missed Apex Motorsport on YouTube to see all the action from the grand final of the Missed Apex F3 Cup which took place this weekend there are only places for 50 teams and at the time of recording 15 of those are already sold so don't delay and get your team entered today email spanners at mistapex.net using the subject line endurance for more information and for links to the entry form and get involved in the best hosted endurance race on iRacing this year see you on track on the 27th of May
1: endorse that highly enough get involved in our next endurance race and like i'm always yelling in this shed i'm always saying get involved in any kind of racing play the f1 game go to your local indoor kart session and just chuck 30 bucks at them to go and just smash it around an indoor track and just get that helmet on pull the visor down and just have the feeling of getting up and behind another racer and just doing something that involves turning a wheel you will not regret it And of course, you know, from our point of view, apart from our karting events, we do put on sim events and I'm very, very proud of the Chris Stevens and Uncle Steve led broadcast we did last night. The grand finale of the Missed Apex F3 Cup. The links will be in the show notes below, but I I want people to to tune into that, realise that they've missed out on a great season and then tune in for next season as well.
3: Yeah, I mean, yeah, my voice is just about <laughs> recovered from from last night. What a dramatic finale uh, between uh, two two drivers in the in the series that have been battling for a number of seasons now. There's there's real storylines behind uh, this championship now, which is uh, really mm-hmm. great uh, to see. It's a fantastic community of our listeners and our panel yeah. as well, and I think the fact that yeah we have. We have a, a bit of a yeah you know, mixed ability among the panel as well. It means no matter how good or bad you are, you're probably going to end up fighting uh, uh, Matt. With, Matt, uh, he's talking about uh, with one Matt, of he's us. He's talking so. about us. He's talking
1: about us. Uh, but at the very top but, end of yeah. the grid, you've got the likes of Kyle Power, Bradley Philpott, Alex Van Jean, Stuffy. So no surprises there. Like they're fighting for wins and championships. And then a little bit further back down is is me and and uh, and Matt's you know yeah, a little bit for so far back that uh, he did end up briefly in my gearbox yesterday.
3: But I I cannot. I cannot endorse this endurance race because I won't be able
1: to be part uh, of it'll it. You'll still be good anyway. So look, do email me spanners at mistapex.net or racecontrol at mistapex.net if you want to get involved in our sim series on the iRacing platform. It's a great way to jump in, be part of a broadcast. It's a great community to either watch uh, or be involved in. Mist, uh, spanners at mistapex.net. Now then, Mercedes is, is, uh, is on our crib sheet. We'll probably end on that. But I do want to say hello to our Mexican listeners because we jumped up to P24, Matt. We jumped up to P24 in the Mexican sports section of iTunes. Massive in Mexico. And the feedback I'm getting is it's just because like you don't slate Sergio Perez. So I think it's just, it just down to the fact
2: that I'm a Perez fan. Well, I mean, uh, I will any port in a storm, as they say.
1: Yeah, we'll take it. But I, I deliberately don't listen to other podcasts on F one anymore. And I don't know if you do. I used to. I used to sit and absorb a lot of them, but it's far too easy to accidentally like copy tones, arguments, and like vibes and drum beats. And I caught myself doing that a couple of times a, a couple of years back. So now I've just gone, No, I'm just gonna fire in ignorant And when I get things wrong or I say stuff that's weird, I let you guys and the listeners yell at me and tell me I'm wrong.
2: Well, it's not just that. I mean, there is no small amount, I think, of groupthink that happens, especially at the elite level of Formula One journalism. It tends to be led by television, Mm. but we see it amongst, I think, the writers, too, to a certain extent. And I find myself sometimes sitting there going like, wait, why are you saying you know, after two years of Alonzo, Oakland's oh, under pressure for Gasly. Really? Really? Did you not think about that sentence before it came out of your mouth? But also with drivers like Perez and and other ones, uh, Albin was another one of my real causes yes, when he was at Red him. Bull. He was just put under ridiculous media pressure that wasn't really justified by the job that he was doing at that time. And so I think it's good... Just to, to, to sort of look at things and come to your own conclusions, rather than just get swept up into the tornado of oh, let's just bash this driver because they're on the doesn't have enough whatever to be on our we should be promoting them at all costs. Yeah, and and
1: I've got which may I've may got experts exist. around me to quickly put me straight, but I do like coming kind of coming into a bit raw um, and uh, and giving just my opinion, just how I see it, and admitting that that is going to be ill-informed. But Shiva uh, replied to my tweet saying we were P24, saying it's probably because you don't slander Checo. A lot of other podcasts speak down to him a lot. So I I don't know that. I don't know that that's been happening. But if that's true, then yes, you have a safe haven here. Toro says that's because Mr. Apex gives fair praise and criticism of Checo. And I do. I criticize Perez as much as I criticize any other driver. It's insane to hear how oh and then he names a bunch of other podcasts talk about him like a second class <laughs> citizen and forget that a good portion of the us listeners are latino well if i say to you toro that i have an uncle jose and an uncle carlos then you and me and you maybe we're on the we're on the same uh, level there uh, but the thing is as a paris fan you know watching him from the beginning and and just identifying him as a driver that i like and and someone that i can root for i've watched that journey and i know that in midfield cars He's been doing these amazing things and I've been watching him in races where maybe if you didn't care about Perez, you'd think he was anonymous and he disappeared. So when he turns up at Red Bull and suddenly he's not doing well against Max like no, a bunch of other drivers haven't done uh, well against Max in basically his car in his team. I didn't suddenly jump to the conclusion. Well, that's because he's terrible because he didn't go from, you know, racing point, put on a blue suit and suddenly become Become awful, um, so it was not a surprise to me. Uh, you know, it's, it's not. So, it, sorry, it would come to as a, su- a surprise to me that if there's outlets that are just going, well, he's he's a mug.
3: Just on uh, Matt's point there about sort of getting swept into, group uh, mm. yeah, group thinking. Uh, I think that be- because motorsport media and like you know, even just in, in, in Formula One, it's such a small little world it is really really small when i was a formerly journalist i did a an article uh in which i praised a certain driver that other journalists in the Mm. community did not necessarily agree
1: with but when i
3: was sort of no 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 no. I'm not gonna go into specific uh, about it. And I'm sure I'm sure it was it was all like uh well in yeah. You know, was it Degrassi? Well intended. <laughs> no, it wasn't. No, loads of people agree Degrassi is amazing. Just, shut up and let me tell my story. God DeCosta damn. <laughs> No, everyone knows DeCosta. Stop <laughs> okay, naming okay, okay. drivers Sorry. that everyone agrees is amazing. Sorry. God It
2: was Sam Bird, come on. <laughs> no, it wasn't anyway, go on, no, carry don't, on.
3: Don't, don't, <laughs> don't remind me about Sam. I feel so bad for him this year. Um and um, there was, I don't know, in a, you know, inadvertently or not, a, a sort of pressure uh, to uh, agree yeah. with the other journalists. Like, oh, yeah, I've, I've written a rubbish thing and I shouldn't have praised that driver because he's clearly rubbish. That was my yeah. story.
1: So I think there is definitely potential, uh, Jules, for Perez up against the mighty Max Verstappen, who is having a moment in his Formula One career, and that is an understatement. F1 is Max Verstappen right now, but there's just that little thread of hope from last weekend, where where me, as someone who's, who's watched Perez, you go, in the right circumstances, that lad has taken like nine podiums, often in absolute dogs of cars. I don't understand the mentality of people who would write a driver off. If you've watched his career, and watched his results, why on earth would you write him off if the stars align.
4: Well, isn't that exactly down to who his teammate is? We always say, yeah, uh, the driver you have to beat is your teammate. And he is, unfortunately for him and a lot of the Mexican fans and also listeners, uh, he's, he's up to uh, needs to fight Max, uh, Max Verstappen. And I mean, pff, it, the guy is, is, is enormous mm. at the moment. And, and, um, I don't know if people write him off, but I don't have a lot of hopes that he will really be able to uh, to launch that title bit because we all, I think, remember the, the, the seasons when Bottas was up to a, a Hamilton's teammate. Yeah. And then, you know, first six, seven races, Bottas had more points and we were all like, yeah, uh, let's wait and see. And it never happened, you know. And it, imagine... Um, if that team needed to needed to uh, provide two drivers with with you know really equal machinery, I don't think Red Bull has shown at any time in their in their in their years in Formula One that they are uh, willing to do that. It, Matt, it would have to be Rosbergian.
1: Was that you that said that on the Sunday on the Sunday race review? It would have to be a Rosbergian season, like Max Verstappen would have to have uh, just the the worst luck. And underperform, and Perez would have to be fighting out of his skin. But I, I, I would challenge anyone to say that Perez isn't a potential world champion in in the right car on the right season on the right day. He's a hundred percent proved that he has the ability to to take a car to lead a team to win a title. In fact, Jules, come back on that because because you're Dutch, I assume you're going to disagree. Because
4: I'm Dutch, yeah. um, no, <laughs> no, you know, I think. Um, Everyone saw Jos Verstappen's <laughs> uh, reaction. You know, what? we all saw the, the video. Yeah. And then a day after we had a video from over shoulder and you saw that uh, Jos Verstappen did shake or high fived uh, Sergio Perez. But, you know, the look on his face it was tells you, tells you that they still feel Perez mm. has, uh, has something yeah, in that's hand. That's a good point. And has, if they weren't worried, yeah, he why are a, they getting so stroppy? Exactly. After I keep saying it, after Brazil last year, they know Sergio Perez is not gonna, you know, play second fiddle. I I think it was more telling than just, oh, you're such a prick. Oh, Uh, you're such uh, an. To to be
1: honest, Jules, it is only the Brits that get upset about that. Uh, So I apologize (laughs) for that language, but any kids (laughs) who are listening and. Isn't that the Dutch directness? Exactly. But the Danes, Christian took about two years to stop swearing on Miss Apex podcast because the Danes don't mind it. It's a low level profanity. So I apologize. I'm not going to beep it. But just to the kids and the parents listening, just an education that different cultures have different
4: standards for what represents magic naughty words. Indeed. But don't let that take anything away from the point I was (laughs) making, please. That I think it was telling, Mm. you know i think you're right i think you're right matt
2: well i just refer you to uh, the last race weekend when after the safety car restart now that max had moved up you assumed immediately he was going to pass perez and i looked at a couple of laps and i said nope Mm. not gonna happen he's not gonna catch him i think perez has kind of a unique opportunity this season with his car unless they really alter how it Changes in the balance over the course of the rest of the season with development, because it's really going to be down to, I think, qualifying and, and mainly the first stint. He, he was not losing anything to Max unless anyone think Max was not trying. I just refer, refer you to the radio messages oh, was, to yeah. the engineers in which both of them refused to come anywhere near the sensible Delta Red Bull was trying to give them so they didn't both blow their engines up and run out of allotment later on in the season. I think it's a lot closer right now than most people realize, and that could add some unexpected excitement to the next couple of races.
3: I think the question you kind of need to ask is, you know, could Perez, for example, have won the title last year if Max Verstappen wasn't his teammate? Mm. You know, would he have beaten Charles Leclerc in a, in a title Oof, fight? Yeah. Uh, yeah and this is the question I would always ask of Bottas as well especially in the years when uh, Ferrari were challenging mm. in like 17 18 things like that Bottas would not have won oh, well, the World 17 17 for
1: 18 them that there was a great question because how many drivers could you have put in Vettel's car that would have won the title for Ferrari in 17 and 18 and off the top of my head right. I can say Hamilton <laughs> Alonso Verstappen yeah. uh, Kobayashi Leclerc. Leclerc yeah Perez so I, I think there's a lot of drivers who wouldn't have made the mistakes Vettel made and would have brought that title home. Yeah,
3: and kind of to your point, like I, I don't want to deconstruct it too much because <laughs> I get what you're trying to say, but ultimately, really any driver with the right car yeah, yeah, course, with the yeah, right yeah, no, no. team, I know, I know, I know. I, <laughs> the right team could win. As, the as I was on one that, title.
1: I instantly kind of went off Button, uh, Rosberg, you know, those. I mean, like, and, the team with and... the
3: right car could win. The, yeah, exactly. But these are not like. Yeah, they're, they're still great drivers <laughs> in their own right, just because they're not at the sort of verstappen hamilton Well, Hang on, I'll Schumacher. point out
1: Barrichello had the yeah, right car level, in the right but... season and didn't win a championship, so you've still no, got to... A... Uh, yeah, uh, no, he didn't, because he had Jenson Button ah, as a teammate. Well, there you go. There uh, you go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the rest of the podcast oh, is just, just noises.
2: I just want to go back to ask Chris, like, in which car? Last year's car or this year's car? Because last year's car, I don't know. This year's car, again, I think Red Bull has has evolved their concept quite a bit. And it seems to be more neutral between the two drivers. So they can each get what they want out of it. But it doesn't unfairly penalize one or the other. So to me, this is going to be a lot down to how does Red Bull develop the car from here? And does that affect the balance in a way that either advantages Perez or Verstappen? Because right now, I look at that second stint it's saudi and i'm like there's not really a lot to choose between the two of them in terms of the lap times they were making
3: how long do we expect that to last yeah. we're looking at a pretty small what? sample there as well of mm. 30 laps in this specific circumstance where we knew max had a, a, a concern about the car whether it was actually impeding him or not We'd, we you know we don't really know no way did and you see know- his
2: last lap
3: yeah. okay no way Okay, fine, but then uh, we we know that is a great track for Perez as yes. well because yeah, he was very yeah, quick yeah, there yeah. last year as well. So
1: how long do we realistically? Well, expect well the this thing to is, last? this is what I said in the the race review. You know it was a perfect storm. He, we know he likes his street circuits. Verstappen had that yeah. issue. So from a pundit point of view, we get to Australia and either things start to go wrong for Verstappen a little bit, or he makes a mistake, which is which is I think that's what it will take for for Perez to to be ahead like the overlap, I think Perez has to be perfect to, to have a chance of winning and then rely on something not quite clicking with Verstappen. That's how I feel it goes. If that happens and Perez picks up a win in Australia, suddenly we've got three weeks of speculating on a Perez championship. However, if Verstappen just blows everyone away, then we'll just be saying, oh, well, that was, that was a bit of a storm in a teacup. But, Matt, it is a street circuit, Australia.
0: I was oh. going to say, let's <laughs> tap into
2: that dominant narrative we were just discussing earlier. I mean, Perez being a street circuit specialist is a thing. Australia really is a street circuit. There's actually a fair amount of them on the overall calendar this season. A couple of bad turns of luck for Verstappen, and yeah, we could be looking at a Rosbergian season quite easily. <laughs> let's I it's, love
3: that sort of thing. Is, is, Perez, is Perez really a street circuit specialist or has he just got a bit lucky? I, at a few do you know what? I just tracks. I
1: just wonder where the street circuits lend themselves more to his just a little bit more of a conservative style where he's, yeah. he's, you know, he's not dicing with the walls. It's not the perfect lap that never was, but end up actually binning it on the final turn and actually having already brushed the wall at turn two on that same lap. You know, maybe it just suits that the the person who's coming in and taking a bit more speed off, and then and then carrying speed through the apex, and maybe that's the difference in driving styles.
3: I mean, when you look at back at those, a lot of the wins, you know, yeah, I, I don't want so, to say so. Baku, lucky obviously, like there inherited. was a
1: tire blowout for for Verstappen, for magic, brake magic. So there was a Lewis. big slice so. of luck there. Yeah, but don't ruin yeah. it. The narrative now. But I don't want is, to. Perez is just... a street circuit specialist, and he's definitely, okay. definitely gonna win in Australia.
3: Well, it's a completely different type of street circuit as mm. as well, isn't it? It's it's got a few more slower uh, corners, but it's also just an entirely different surface mm. as well. Because the one in Saudi is, you know, specialist for the uh, for the for the event, and it's very new and
1: it's very
2: smooth.
3: Yeah. Uh, whereas Australia is proper proper like just road surface with all the markings on it that's true
1: but also okay take away the markings street furniture and and black out all of the surroundings there are tracks street tracks that you would drive around them and you wouldn't be sure that they were a street circuit so montreal australia might fall into that if you're in singapore or monaco you know you're on a street circuit
3: yeah the thing about the thing about montreal though is it's kind of it's kind of not really a street Track it's still you know, kind of a permanent facility. It has street circuit elements, mm. um, but I wouldn't call it a street circuit in the same way that Australia mm. or Baku are street courses. Jules.
4: yeah, I was just going to say Melbourne has is a bit of an unknown this time because the the track layout has uh, been altered a bit to improve overtaking. Um, if they don't work, and with the apparent Uh, problem with overtaking we have yet again imagine what happens if Perez is the first one to come out of turn one on Sunday and what would happen now? Dream you mean,
1: dream
4: I'm not
3: biased (laughs) it wasn't um, wasn't a hit last year when they made the changes, they took out the chicane, they tightened some of the corners to make them a bit more (laughs) overtakey for DRS zones as well Still wasn't a massive hit, so I don't know. We we see it could have just been a sort of
1: blemish on. the Okay, record. so Konzi has in our live chat has made a brilliant uh, point here. The the Perez the Perez Street Circuit moniker is as annoying and dubious as the George Russell Mister Saturday tag. And remember, all that Mister Saturday tag, he was up against. Uh, he was up against uh, the Polish driver uh, Kubica, and who was you know in a much diminished physical state, and also up against Latifi. No offense, Chris. I know you're. Latifi Stan. So that Mr. Saturday thing just meant that whenever he had a good performance, it really kind of showed up and it made him look like a, you know, an absolute genius. He is undoubtedly a fast qualifier, but you've also got the Jensen button, wet weather specialist myth. When basically whenever rain came down, he would just do the opposite of what everyone else did. And when it came off, he looked like an absolute genius and he played to that as well. So perhaps the street circuit thing will turn out to be like that. But if he wins Australia, where I'm pushing personally, I'm pushing that narrative massively. And then when he doesn't win, say Baku, we'll ignore it and pretend I, I never said it. So uh, thank you very much for tuning in to Mr. Apex po- Podcast. Follow our panel, Jules Sagers at Jules Sagers on Twitter. Yep. Yeah. And also follow Chris at Chris on Racing, our lead commentator for the F3 Cup. Yeah,
3: I'm on the Twitters, the Instagrams, and the TikToks. Mm. So you can go find and
1: me. And Miss that. Apex is on all of those things. We're on the TikTok, and uh, it's quite funny. Like we've just, I've just tried doing that thing where I just point the phone at myself and just say what I reckon for ninety seconds, and they're they're all yeah. right. So go and follow the TikTok if you want to see me randomly. In my pajamas, or even one I did on a beach when a, a thing just occurred to me. Uh, but yeah, and go and check out the links in the show notes below for the Miss Apex F3 Cup and watch Chris Stevens and Chris Turner uh, lead the commentary for that fantastic Steve Amy production. And Matt at MattPT55 on Twitter and Matt Trumpets on Facebook, where you you post regularly pictures of trumpets.
2: Well, I mean, that is my Mm -hmm.
1: Follow me at Spanners Ready, Richard Ready. Links in the show notes below. Go check them out. There's lots of things to click on, follow and interact with. If you are a patron, patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex, then we have been doing every Friday a very casual post-practice breakdown of what we've seen, what we're looking forward to over the weekend. It becomes instantly irrelevant. And, you know, by Sunday, it's completely irrelevant. Plus, we divert onto lots of non-F1 topics at all. I think we spent about 10 minutes talking about my my journeys on e-scooters and whether I should sell my car or not. It's worse content. It is definitely worse content, but it's a relaxed forum. And so far, it's got very positive feedback from our patrons. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex, one ninety nine a month, ad-free feed, and that preview uh, show that we've been doing.
3: Chris. And can I make just a a
1: very quick note as well
3: that, you know, 33% Thirty-three percent of you watching this on YouTube right now are not subscribed. Subscribe, man! Now you, you need to go and do that. I'm looking at you, Damien. <laughs> subscribe, and you,
1: Derek. Okay? Why aren't you subscribed, Derek? Please yeah. and like it and everything like that. All those things. Um, if you're a podcast listener, you might not even know that we've got a fantastic video production uh, that Steve Amy does on our YouTube channel. And if you're on YouTube, you may as well go and subscribe to the podcast so we can be there with you. For your Monday morning commute, we have Mike Caulfield, uh, and the audio listeners will also get treated to Mark Preston's story about Super Aguri in the mid 2000s. So that will be coming up on your audio feed on Tuesday. And like I said, we'll see you on the preview on Friday or for the race review on Sunday at 8 p.m. But wherever we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Miss Apex Podcast.